Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Kia ora and welcome back to the new Tuesday podcast with me, Tim Batt. This series features a bunch of chats I was lucky enough to have with the people who made this brilliant new comedy. New Tuesday is in cinemas in New Zealand from June 16th and in Australia from June 23rd. It'll be available on streaming platforms soon too. In this episode of the podcast, we're diving a little deeper into the behind the scenes part of this movie and talking to two people who were crucial to setting up the made up language and the nudity. Dialect coach Perry Piercy is an award-winning actor and director who turned her hand to focus on speech and has travelled the world instructing actors and presenters operating at the highest levels on how they can use their voice most effectively. Perry constructed the rules for the made-up language in New Tuesday and trained the actors on how to improvise within a dialect that doesn't actually exist outside of this film. Tandy Wright is a Kiwi screen icon who's known for her long runs on huge New Zealand TV shows like Shortland Street, Nothing Trivial, and more recently on the black comedy sci-fi series Creamery, in addition to a ton of international projects. Tandy is also Vice President of Equity New Zealand, an organisation fighting to lift the working conditions, safety and collective bargaining rights for everyone in the performance industry. Recently, Tandy has become a Registered Intimacy Coordinator, which was her role on New Tuesday. Tandy, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. It's nice to be chatting. Now, you were the intimacy coordinator on this film, um, which begs the very first question, what exactly is an intimacy coordinator? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's quite a new profession, I guess, since about 2018. um, It's been in the world and it's uh, the moment I tell people I'm an intimacy coordinator, they sort of get this like little grin on their face. <laughs> like, what is that? And it sounds yeah. kind of weird. Um, but actually, it's much needed change in our industry. We, intimacy coordinators, effectively we do for scenes of intimacy what a stunt coordinator does for a, a stunt scene. So we make that environment safe. We choreograph it. We professionalise it. So the thing about, you know, the stunt scene is is a great example because in those scenes there is inherent risk and people can get hurt. Um, So producers plan to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, they they engage their stunt coordinator, they make sure there's time for rehearsal, resources and care around those scenes. Well, a scene of intimacy is exactly the same. It's not different. There's inherent risk in those scenes and people can get hurt. And that might be a physical hurt or it might be psychological. So the scenes need care. They need planning, resources. Maybe they need an intimacy coordinator. They certainly need good communication. And, you know, in the past, prior to Me Too and so on, that often just didn't happen. And and sometimes because, you know, sometimes abuse was direct, but sometimes 
you know, a lot of the time it was just poor communication and people being slightly embarrassed to talk about the material and um, which sounds ridiculous, right? You would think <laughs> that people would be willing to talk about the scene they're about to shoot, but often they didn't until the last moment. And so performers would go into those scenes really kind of terrified actually because they just didn't know what they were up for. You know, they didn't know necessarily uh, how explicit or, or graphic the action would be, how exposed they would be, how long it would go for, the mechanics of how it would work. You know, and oftentimes in the past, directors might say, you guys, you go and, you performers, you go and sort it out, come back with something you're happy with. And that, um, I mean, it's not a safe environment to tell performers mm. to go and do that. But also what I have really objected to in the past is when, when performers feel that their own sexuality is on display and that they will be judged for that, that is terrifying. And um, I, I just don't think it's part of the job. I don't think it makes the work better. In fact, the reverse. So, um, so oftentimes I'll be talking to performers about, you know, separation of self from character. And that's, that's really important um, in terms of just good mental health practices for actors, but it also makes the work better because you know, I'll I'll be encouraging them to at least think about, you know, making choices that they personally wouldn't make. Um, and, and also, you know, we might find ways to tap in and tap out of character so that when they're in that zone, you know, you know, they are they 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 have to go to a certain place as an actor. They yeah. they need to go to a do whatever kind of weird and wonderful things their character's getting up to, they need to feel free to do that. And then at the end of the day, find a way to, to let it go, that it's not theirs, that energy is not theirs to carry. I know that this varies a lot between actors. Some actors sort of do carry that weight of their character around with them for duration of shooting and others are able to just sort of enter and exit out of that. What kind of practices, if, if you can share, do you use to get people to shake off um, these sorts of scenes if they need to? Yeah, I mean, as you say, everyone is different and some actors love it and some actors don't find it that helpful or or they've already got their own processes. As part of the choreographic work, we do something called a touch consent process, which is where the actors effectively um, tell each other where they're happy to be touched. So you, you kind of uh, figure out a playground for the scene um, on the other person's body. And if they've got barriers for whatever reason, we work around those. And that is a really great trust building exercise. It sort of doubles as a trust building exercise and a kind of a tap into the work. But also, I mean, I, I mean, there are various exercises that we do, but a good physical warm up which sometimes screen actors forget about, theatre actors are great at it, it's really good because in a lot of these scenes, um, you need your whole body, right? If you're in a, an intimate situation, usually every cell in your body is vibrating in some way and it's easy on screen to forget that your whole body is kind of part of the story. Um, so I'm a big fan of the old-fashioned physical warm-up. <laughs> yeah, truly. And, and also because it's a way of letting your body know that you're in professional mode because mm. your brain knows it, right? You know that whatever you're about to perform is not real, that it's an imagined scenario. But, you know, whatever, whatever emotional state your character's in, your body is replicating that, those mm. Um, endorphins or whatever actually are in your bloodstream you need to find a way to 
physically let your body know that this is not real. That, so you enter a professional zone and then exit it at the end of the day. I mean, that does make the role so interesting because you're sort of um, tapping into or trying to negotiate through people's physiology in a way, the kind of connection or disconnection between their brain and their body. And as you say, there's, there is an element of your brain that knows that it's not real, but there's also perhaps like a deeper, more reptilian part of your brain that if you're sort of going through certain motions and that it just sort of clicks into whatever mode and you don't know whatever um, history or, or experience people are bringing into that. Yes, absolutely. And, and it will depend a lot on what the material requires. You know, um, I'm new Tuesday. We had the great good fortune to be working with scenes and, um, and sexuality that was nothing but joyful. And those scenes are psychologically they're easier to navigate whereas if you're in darker territory um i need to be much much more careful with the actors that there's a clean kind of break between work and and home time and and just yeah getting really specific then with choreography and technical stuff and treating it like a dance so that at the end of the day you just let that stuff go my understanding is that there's only three registered intimacy coordinators in New Zealand, uh, yourself, Jennifer Ward-Leland and Mariama McDowell. Uh, all, all three of you are incredibly accomplished actors. I'm wondering what drew you into this and I would sort of have to assume it's no coincidence that it is three women who have these um, fantastic story careers in acting and, and that there are probably... Um, some experiences that all three of you have gone through which led you down this path? I mean, yes, definitely. We've all been actors for a very long time and we've all, you know, been involved in intimate work during the course of that career. And some of those experiences have been better than others. Um, and that is so helpful in terms of doing the work now because I know exactly what the actors are feeling. I know exactly the territory they have to navigate to get to where they're going to. I, it's also really helpful, just the basics of knowing how um, a film set works or, a, or a, a theater production works. The profession arose at a particular point in our history, which was, you know, pretty much after the Me Too stuff. And that's not a coincidence, obviously. Mm. Um, and during that time, I think a lot of us were examining our industry generally, our behaviour within that industry. You get to a certain point, I think, as an actor and as a grown-up human being where you go, if I'm not changing this industry, who am I expecting is going to? And our industry needs to be better. You know, this is nonsense the way this stuff is done currently. And we need to find a way for people to be safe when they're at work. And not only the actors, but also crew. It seems like the industry really is taking it up. Like there's there's so many productions now that are involving intimacy coordinators. And based on what you're saying, it sounds to me like you are arming these people, actors, crew, directors, etc., with these toolkits and uh, perhaps they won't have an intimacy coordinator for every project that they do, but they're able to sort of take all of these guides that you're providing them for and into their other projects. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jennifer also does a lot of teaching at drama schools, so we're hoping that the next generation of actors, will this will just be completely normal. And the good thing about us all being very experienced actors is that we you know between us we know most of the crew in New Zealand yeah it's not a and, big place um, and they were all going oh 
Tandy's doing, Jennifer, Miriama, these are, you, you know, they're not con artists. There must be something in this. And so there was a yeah. lot of goodwill, I think, for what we were doing. And also just was great timing that there happened to be a series of professional development workshops for the film industry happening nationwide at the same time. And that was dealing with sexual harassment, bullying um, in, in our industry, and all HODs were required to attend those. And um, one of us would always turn up at those and give a talk about intimacy coordination right when the work was just sort of hitting and starting to, to be known about. It sounds incredible because it sounds like very quickly the whole industry in New Zealand could, could kind of turn in one generation to a far safer place for everyone, which is just so neat. Yeah. And so tell me about this process of working on this wonderful, wacky film. Yeah. Look, it was an absolute delight. Quite stressful at some points, um, but such a wonderful creative team behind it. Um, and and the concept itself was just so um, full of joy and quirkiness and really embracing of all types of sexuality. Um, that it, there was nothing but fun. The way that I tend to work is I, so I break down, we do quite a lot of paperwork as well as part of the job, break down the script and all the intimate material and then have a really in-depth conversation. Aman and I were on the, we had a meeting for about two hours going through her vision because really this job is really, really important for all directors out there to know that I'm always going to be serving their vision. I'm not going to be trying wrestling anything away from a director. That's It's like the opposite of what I want to do. I want to support what they're going for and, and make that safe and playful and repeatable. Then I have a conversation with every single actor, private conversation. We go through all their material so they know what they're in for so that they can consent. <laughs> consent is at the heart of this work. It takes a while for a performer to get their head in the space where they're going to be able to do their best work. Um, so that's numerous conversations. But but we did the prep up here, and then when we finally went down, we were filming in this beautiful, tiny little town called Makarora, down a um, couple of hours' drive from Queenstown, and... The beauty of essentially being in this camping ground there and everyone staying there is that we formed almost like a little family, a little commune, which is exactly what's happening in the script. Yeah. So, um, so, so, you know, <laughs> using the given circumstances right there um, made the work better and, and also that group vibe. So um, even though I wasn't working every day, I was around quite a lot of the time. And so um, we would all meet up every night at the little pub, which was part of this camping ground, and people would have a beer and they might just kind of grab me and we would have a little conversation about some stuff. Or I would go to them and say, ah, oh, this, 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 let's have a think about that. Um, so we held two separate meetings, one for the men and one for the women. And they were really great forums where people could just talk about their concerns and talk it through with the director and producer as well. And what came out of those meetings, they were so helpful, was a set of ground rules that the actors essentially wrote. And um, the day before we did our first nude scene, I addressed the crew um, and the actors were there as well. 
and I laid out the ground rules. And also, I I don't usually make speeches in my job, but I did in this instance. And this speech was really about uh, how tricky these scenes are for performers. And these are really good performers, so they make it look easy, but it's not. This work is very challenging and it's going to take every ounce of bravery that they have. Um, See, so yeah, I start to tear up when I think about it because they're, they're so brave. I love actors. I, they're the bravest people I know. Um, and, and I read out the list of ground rules for the day that the actors had written, and I could see and feel the actors growing in stature when I was wow. doing that because this was their space, and they were saying, essentially, this is what I need to do my job. What the actors need is is to feel safe and respected um, from the crew. Are, are you able to share any of those ground rules? I mean, I mean, they're, they're pretty simple, but they, they make a big difference. Like eye contact is good. <laughs> Don't <laughs> let the days further south, unless you're a sound person and you have to. But, you know, it's actually hard. Human beings, we tend to assess the whole person, right, when mm. we're dealing with them. In this instance, that is not helpful. Um, things like um, people need a bit more personal space when they're naked no jokes of a sexual nature obviously the performers will be laughing and joking and they may be making jokes about their bodies or their nakedness they're doing that because it's good for the work but the crew don't need to join in with that Um, this movie is uh, it's a comedy there's a lot of like hilarious sort of sex moments or sex scenes in this film. Yeah. Um, there's a particularly one that absolutely slayed me between uh, Jackie Van Beek and Jermaine Clement. Is it is it tricky to um, do the intimacy coordination of those sorts of moments without destroying the comedy or, or while retaining the comedy? Like, how do, do do you feel a hand in retaining the comedy, or do you kind of go? I'm in charge of making sure this bit's safe and then it's sort of like the performers and the director's job to insert the comedy on top of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it really depends on the space uh, that we're in and the space that Jackie and Aman created there was who's got the best idea in the room? Let's go with that. Um, so in a space like that, if I can make that scene better, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be in there. Um, and, and I think that's helpful for the actors as well because they don't feel like the whole weight of it is on them. Um, like we're all in this together and that's one of the things that I love about intimacy coordination is, you know, it's that thing of I don't have to expose my own sexuality. I'm just like, what's the scene? What's the story? How can we make it better? Um, and because the actors have given like permission, if they've got physical boundaries, we've we've discovered what they are and then – and then we can like just go at playtime. Now we know the safe zones. Um, let's get in there. And because I'm there, Aman's there, Jackie's there, Jermaine's there. We're like there's four of us in this relationship. It's not just them, <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean it is their characters, but we're all going to go. Oh, what about this? What about this? Let's try that. No, that doesn't work. Let's try this. Um, and it becomes a playful, safe, joyful space. Um, and then I think. Definitely, the performers get braver. They're like, okay, oh, with this. Oh, how about we add in this crazy thing? And um, and then, you know, it results in that beautiful, crazy scene that we see on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Bonkers. But also on the day, I mean, God, the logistics of that day, we were on, you know what those amazing South, South Island rivers are like? 
they're these beautiful big braided rivers, but the sand so cold. They're so cold, and the sand flies are like oh yeah, sometimes yeah. you almost can't see, right? So yeah. there's that. It's freezing. There's a goat. There's a fish. There's Joanna Jackie's, and it was pissing down with rain. Oh my god. <laughs> It was it was so fun. I can't tell you, but it was really really tough. The actors did so well. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do, Tandy, and thanks <laughs> for taking the time to talk to me about this this wonderful crazy film. Oh, really no, appreciate I it. I love it. I love the project. <laughs> I felt so lucky to be on it. It was just a joy. Thanks very much, Tandy. Cheers, Tim. Nice chatting. So, Perry, thank you so much for joining me for this discussion. Yeah, not a problem. What was the title of your job on Nude Tuesday, first of all? Okay, so I was I was brought on as dialect coach, but uh, then it kind of expanded, I guess, to to language designer, which uh, was a fantastic and uh, most intriguing job to be doing. Um, and quite unique because we're fairly familiar with um, conlangs. You know, they they exist in a number of movie contexts. Uh, but this was something different. It wasn't a conlang. And can I ask, a conlang, a constructed language? Is that what yeah, conlang is constructed language. So I have a preference um, which actually goes a little bit against what's been established in talking about this invented language. Uh, the decision has been made to call it gibberish. Yeah, I noticed that, but it's it's sort of not. There are some there's some rules, right. and there's a there's a, a unified flow to it throughout the different actors speaking. Yeah, exactly. I I reckon a better name for it is a spelang. So a spelang is uh, potentially useful to describe what the actors are doing, which is they are spontaneously inventing dialect. So it's a spontaneously invented dialect which lives in a particular geographic region. It is not random um, and it doesn't follow, you know, some of the, the, the childhood um, gibberish languages that kids use where you put a certain sound in front of every word or at the end of every word. It's not that either. So in working with the actors, we had a very sort of careful, progressive foundation that we built so that everybody would be in the same sort of dialect region or language region. I mean, this seems like such a unique project that it almost seems redundant to ask, have you ever worked on something like this before? Because I don't know that anything <laughs> yeah. like this has ever existed up until this this film was made. But it strikes me that being a dialect coach and helping people to um, mimic an established way of speaking that's that's associated with a, a specific physical location, a, a geography somewhere, and, a, and a, the people who live there, that's quite a different thing from either A, inventing a language, which it almost seems like you, you sort of half did, or coaching people to unlock this um, this unguarded uh, vocalisation that doesn't follow the normal rules of language. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a search through the internet to, to see if I could find anybody who'd done something like this before, uh, and I didn't 
really find anything useful. Uh, so I, I had to decide what I thought might be most useful for actors. And I mean, one of the things I, I love most about dialect coaching is that you get to work with these fantastic creative beings, these actors who just are amazing in their ability to uh, grab ideas, integrate them and and make them believable parts of their character. So the process kind of went something like, what region are we identifying this language with? And that was a decision that came from Jackie and Aman that they wanted a kind of Nordic Scandi feel for the movie. And so I started looking at languages in that region. So that involved listening to people speaking, listening to radio programs and music, and just kind of getting those sounds in my head. And then identifying what some of the, the key vowel sounds were, and what some of the common prefixes and suffixes in the language were that perhaps were were different to uh, English language. And then from there, devising a series of exercises so that the actors could be free to uh, begin again from a non-English point of view, uh, to build on, la on a suite of vowel sounds, and then practice with these word endings and beginnings. Can you give us a comparison of what are the standard English vowel sounds, particularly in New Zealand and Australia, which comprises most of the cast, versus, mm -hmm. in, uh, versus the sounds that you associate with that sort of Nordic Scandinavian lexicon? Sure, sure. Okay, so, so our vowel sounds in English are A-E-I-O-U, and then we make diphthongs out of those, obviously, and triphthongs. Um, and then uh, some of the, the vowels that I identified as, as being particularly useful for us in creating this new language were the oo sound, so oo, oo, and or, or, which is not, you know, it's not far away from English, but it's it has got some differences to it. Um, and then probably the, the, the more unique one is a, a compressed ooh sound. So ooh, which goes into ooh and ooh, ooh, ooh. And so we'd practice, for example, the or sound, we go or, ought, or, all, on, os. So immediately it's beginning to sound different. That's that's not an English sound, you know. Yeah. Beginning to get a suite of sound that is not ours, that we feel a sense of ownership of. And then we begin to build the complexity of the sound from that base. But you also have to, you know, free up the brain to be able to play effectively in this language. I mean, it's a really big thing to to ask someone to not just act authentically, but act authentically in a language that they're making up right then and there on the spot. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty out there. <laughs> I spoke to Damon about it, um, who, who yeah, yeah. plays Bruno, and um, he said that he found it incredibly freeing 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so much of, of acting teaching is about how can we make this um, happen in the moment? How can we have the actors connecting for real in this moment and really listening to each other? So, yeah, absolutely. You, you have got to be 100% focused on the information that's coming from your partner um, because, you know, not only are you reading them emotionally, you don't know exactly where the line is going to end. So you have to be perceiving that um, on on an instinctual level in order to uh, to make the conversation evolve authentically, yeah. What I was wondering about is because you are, you're an actor, you're a professional dialect coach for people, I assume that that means you're probably quite a big fan of language. And I wondered if um, when this initial concept was brought to you, it felt confronting at all. That beautiful dialogue that was written by screenwriters was kind of thrown out the window for this project. Did you find any tension there yourself as someone who I assume is probably a big fan of words? Um, no, I, I didn't feel threatened or impinged on. I, I, I really felt brave new world. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> And, you know, I listened to some conlangs, you know, I listened to Dothraki and Klingon and some of the languages that they have used in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and and just kind of listened to what was going on there. And you could clearly hear the families of sounds, you know, that, that okay, we're, go- we're going to go for... Um, you know, with, with Klingon, a very um, sharp and, and guttural sound, um, or with Elvish, a very, seemed to me there was quite a lot of um, sibilance, and the Welsh language was a, um, something that Tolkien was inspired by. I might have that wrong, but it's, it's clear that it's very hard to start with a blank slate and create a language. Mm. They all, all those conlangs come from and inspiration somewhere. And, you know, so does ours. And it wasn't just the constructed language that you were working with for the actors, but there's also this phenomenal soundtrack that's a New Tuesday, which is a a combination of um, original compositions, like sort of uh, orchestral compositions that have got vocalisations on them. But also... Uh, these mm-hmm. these incredible songs. The first one that struck me was uh, Talking Heads' "Road to Nowhere" comes in pretty early, and you sort of hear the opening chords, and you're all primed to, you know, it's like you're at karaoke and you're about to sing along with the lyrics, <laughs> and then the the constructed language comes in, and I just thought it was so it's such great world building. But what was that that process like? Did you work with the musicians themselves who, who were recording them? Or? Uh, yes, yeah. My task was to do the translation initially and then had some time just to kind of run over the vowels very much as, as we did with, with the actors. So for the songs, I was able to pull some of the vocabulary that we'd established because from you know what I, what I had said was that initial lexicon of, of 20 words that we started in the rehearsal with, by the time we'd finished the shoot, I think we had something like, a, I don't know, 150 words, because as actors used something that someone else repeated, or they used something and it was going to pop up in another scene, 
I made a note of that. So, you know, we got very random assortment, you know, um, everything from quite basic stuff to, to quite curious <laughs> stuff that you, you wouldn't think you'd need again. Also keeping in mind the kind of uh, the, the tactile feel of the sound. So, you know, when, when lyricists write songs, um, the choice of the word has a lot to do with how that word feels in your mouth and how we, how we perceive it. An example, I'm looking here at the road to nowhere. The word for children was established and, and it's, it's chendrets, chendrets. So I was able to uh, recall that from our, our dialect. Uh, but then the future is certain. None of those words uh, we had and we decided was on the K. Uh, future, I decided prizol, prizol razetiep, prizol razetiep. So I think I looked at what is the Norwegian, the Danish, the Swedish word for that. And then I would kind of do a bit of a mashup mm -hmm. and then shift it two paces to the left and hopefully get the word out of that. So I did quite a bit of that. How do you think it will be for an audience in that part of the world and in, in the sort of nautical Scandinavian countries hearing this language, which sounds similar to, to their real spoken language, but is just different enough that it doesn't make sense? Yeah, we've certainly talked about that. And I really hope that they will be amused and entertained and um, hopefully um, get on board the project. Yeah, it's, it is in no way used in, um, in any kind of derogatory fashion. And I've actually really come to love the sounds of that language and I'm fascinated by its its origins and its evolution. So I hope that they'll get on board and love it. Hopefully they will accept it with the love with which it was uh, constructed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually, I, I don't know if you um, knew this, but we made a second language as well, which um, has a different sound. And this was the one that was spoken by Jermaine and Miranda, um, and the the um, premise there is that um, Miranda's character comes from somewhere else, um, and Jermaine is possibly a second language speaker of that. So, in devising that, we we spoke with them both, and Miranda is um, an, a native speaker of Greek. And so we used quite a few Greek sounds um, in combination with some Māori sounds to devise this second language, which has quite a different feel to our key language. Yeah. Jeez, Lord, I'm just, I'm mind blown by the amount of work <laughs> that was. Did you ever get quite overwhelmed? Because I imagine the initial pitch um, for, for what you had to undertake may have been exceeded uh, when you actually started digging into the process itself. <laughs> was that the case? I guess I just was really um, energised and inspired by what the actors were able to do. And, you know, I, I'm such an admirer of 
the craft of acting. And I think that this project exemplifies creative imagination and discipline in combination. And what the actors were able to create under um, Armand's direction and the extraordinary environment that um, the design team created uh, is just mind-blowing. Yeah. And Perry, while I have you, this is a little bit cheeky because this is your profession. This is what people pay you the big bucks to do. But I was wondering if while we have you, you could provide any uh, tips for a lay person on how they could improve their sort of everyday uh, language skills or um, the way in which they speak to maybe imbue it with a little bit more confidence or being able to emote more friendliness in their tone or any of those tips that you might give to someone who's just starting out? Oh, for sure. I think one of the key things is to make friends with your voice. It's a curiosity to me that people will willingly go regularly to a gym and work on their bodies and prioritize physical fitness. But the idea of spending time on your voice and your vocality is unknown. Um, So people don't realize that the voice is an instrument which they can put more energy into and speaking personally, a big revelation for me in, in my own vocality was when I decided to bring together the kind of voice that I used to use in my acting and the voice that I used in my everyday speech. So rather than just regarding communication as transactional, I gave myself permission to be felt when I speak. So that is my best advice that you you take a risk and allow yourself to be felt as well as um, understood and see what happens. Well, Perry, congratulations on your work on the film and um, I hope you enjoyed your time with it. Thank you. I certainly did. It's uh, something that I'm not going to forget in a hurry and yeah wouldn't it be great if a a whole new genre did kick off and we could do more of this be pretty cool (laughs) thanks very much perry thank you tim thanks for listening to this episode of the new tuesday podcast i hope you enjoyed it new tuesday is in cinemas in new zealand and australia from mid-june and will be coming to streaming platforms soon the new tuesday podcast was brought to you by film queenstown lakes and the new zealand and australian film distributors madman entertainment It was produced, hosted and edited by me, Tim Batt, and co-produced by Courtney Mayhew and Tyler Hislop. The music in this series are original compositions by Cam Ballantyne and covers from Monica, which appear in the new Tuesday soundtrack available soon. Or maybe now, I don't know when you're listening to this. The series is also supported by Flix. Download the Flix app to find new Tuesday session times near you and get tickets. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.